This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hello and welcome to Unequal Sequel. My name is Dave and I'm one of the two hosts of this flaming hot podcast. Oh, like Monster Munch. I like it. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm Rich and I'm the other host of this flaming hot podcast. Think of me as Obelix to Dave's Asterix. I'm massive, but he's deceptively strong. Think of me as Hal to Dave's Dave. I'm a malevolent malfunctioning AI and he's called Dave. Think of me as Ellen Ripley to Dave's alien queen. I'm a badass bitch and so is he. Think of me as Al Pacino to Dave's Robert De Niro just because we're both legends. The premise of Unequal Sequel is very simple. We ask our guests for their best ever sequel, worst ever sequel, and finally their dream sequel. And of course, we've got to often drift off and just have some chats about movies in general. Uh, we also have to point out that we do spoil movies because we mm. talk about them in quite in-depth detail. Yeah. Do you remember the first sequel you got excited about? The first sequel I got excited about? Ah, oh, well, do you know what? I think probably, I can't remember what order it would have been in, but like 1989 was a huge year for franchises and sequels. So you had Star Trek V, uh, Lethal Weapon 2, Batman came out, Ghostbusters Ooh. 2, Back to the Future 2. And so uh, like there was just like this endless list of, of sequels. And it was like everything was like fighting to survive. And I think Ghostbusters 2 did all... It's, I think it's set, at, it's set at New Year, but I think it came out in the summer. Right. And uh, Ghostbusters 2, I think, came out maybe a week before Batman. Everything, everything basically cleared, cleared the way for Batman. And then Batman came out and, you know, trounced everything. But I remember... I remember going to see Ghostbusters 2 at the cinema. It was the first, I'd been eight or nine. I think I'd probably be eight. And I was a big fan of the original Ghostbusters and the cartoon, the real Ghostbusters. And then when the sequel, but I preferred the movies, although I found the first one very scary. I remember that Ghostbusters 2 was the first film that I didn't need to go for a wee during. Ooh. <laughs> I think I saw it twice. And I think the first time I saw it, I did need a wee. And I 
came back during Vigo the Carpathian's head floating uh, above a river of slime uh, while he was doing that speech. And I, and I, so I missed that chunk and I went to see it again and I didn't go for a piss the whole film. The first sequel uh, yeah. that I got excited about, I'm sure would have been Empire Strikes Back. I think answer. I'm just trying to think of films in my very, very, I'm 48. So I was lucky that, um, and it makes me sound like I was spoiled. I wasn't, we were, I was piss poor. But um, uh, but yeah, we my parents took me to Leicester Square to see Star Wars when I was very young, and uh, oh my God, no. and just to add some extra extra sport bratness to it. Afterwards, they then took me to Hamleys, uh, and they bought me uh, the figures of Luke and R two. Oh, um, that's amazing. So yeah, that was I think that was like. Uh, I'd done a film podcast called Films to be Buried With and we was talking about cinematic experiences and I just think that took some beating. I think, you know, yeah. I don't think I've ever... Well, I have. I have bettered it and that will come up later when we discuss one of my films, actually. Oh, wicked. Okay, cool. Did you get to keep the toys in a box? Are they still sealed? Um, I didn't and I was obsessed with collecting Star Wars figures. Um, my my very good friend's dad was actually the key grip on Star Wars Empire and Jedi. Uh, he lives at the end of my road and still has clapperboards for Empire, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Flash Gordon. When I was growing up, me and my friend Mark, who now also is a key grip, um, that's his son, we used to play like army, like guns, with... Yeah. Uh, fiberglass swords and guns that were used in Flash Gordon. And this sounds like I'm lying, but I swear I'm not. He had a pair of wingmen's wings that were this floppy foam with these little straps. So he had a pair of wingmen's wings from Flash Gordon. And we used That's to... amazing. Yeah. He <laughs> was a really good mate to have because his dad was always on location 24 7. Uh, <laughs> he felt a bit guilty. So Mark had like a BMX, a drum kit, a CB radio. He had like, all the cool stuff that no one, none of your other like, mates in this area could afford. <laughs> he had all that because his dad was always away on location. And obviously, in hindsight, when you actually sort of look back on that, you go, wow, your dad had the coolest job ever. Uh, yeah, I think as I'm a horror nerd, so the one that I was really excited about was Scream 2. I think that came out when I was a teenager and I definitely wasn't old enough to see it, but there was kind of a cinema not too far away where they didn't care that much. So long as you weren't like obviously eight, you could basically get in to see a 15. <laughs> and I loved Scream so much as a kid. Uh, my parents had it on um, VHS back then, kind of showing my age. Um, and they were always, they didn't supervise their VHSs that well. So I watched that probably when I was like something nine or something. And I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. And then when Scream 2 came out to go and actually see that in the cinema. And I think it holds up. I think it's a great sequel and a great commentary on what the horror sequel can be. Um, and yeah, that was, that was lived up to my expectations. Even if I was still devastated that Randy dies. Still haven't got over that, to be honest. I haven't got over that either. <laughs> we had to watch that in series one, didn't we? It was somebody's yeah. favourite sequel. And uh, and yeah, I'm not over that death. That's quite that's a that's a horrible way to go as well. The blood dripping out the bottom of the van and yeah. Maybe sad. <laughs>
Your best sequel ever. What is it? It's not this. But I, I took a look at the stuff that other people have said. Yeah. And uh, but what but I tell you what this isn't. It's not the best sequel ever, right? Mm. But what I will say is it is a much maligned movie. And I watched it last week, the week before, and I thought it was incredible and i i'd seen it before should we should we say what it is well it's, okay so it's texas chainsaw massacre 2 now right so my relationship with texas chainsaw massacre is that i think it's probably the best horror film ever made i think it's definitely the scariest and um i'd known of it for many years uh when i was a child i was very timid and scared of horror movies i grew up in london in the 80s and all of the tube stations had nightmare on elm street posters on them so it wasn't uh, like you'd even go into a video shop it was like freddy krueger was on the walls uh, you know as you were being taken to school or to the museum or whatever it was <laughs> freddy krueger was all over the place because there was like a film that came out almost every year and i found it absolutely terrifying so i was a very squeamish child and i got into horror through uh, the evil dead franchise and then uh, that was sort of like my gateway into sort of like horror movies and uh texas chainsaw massacre was banned in england and they had uh i can't remember what year it was it was either 97 or 98 and they had uh, there was one cinema in covent garden called the abc cinema on shaftesbury avenue which is now an odium but it's still there and they had a license to play texas chainsaw massacre for like a limited period and so i went with my mate who was in the year above we went to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it was one of those films where, because it was banned, there was sort of like this aura around it. Mm. And we were scared before we even went in, you know. And so I was underage, so I must have been like 16 or 17. And um, and when the lights go down, and it was in it was an ABC cinema just before it got converted to an Odeon. So it was a bit of a flea pit. The carpet was all um, 70s, sort of like brown and orange and sticky. And it was sort of like a really sort of like fairly run down cinema and like medium-sized screen and then the lights go down and we sat there and then the, the the opening crawl comes up and it's got this voiceover which sort of like just goes straight through you and there's uh, the sound effect of like the flash bulbs going off and um i remember my friend turned around to me and um he said let's go <laughs> 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 and, then, and then we got through it, but it felt like we'd survived it, you know? Like, it was an obsession of mine, Aliens. So, you know, we haven't even got into the film, but... So, at that point, I started buying all the comics. I had, like, a mm. Colonial Marines manual, which literally had all the schematics of all the weaponry, how the weaponry worked, the different colour grenades. Like, each grenade that you'd put in a pulse rifle has a different colour <laughs> top. So I knew what were the incendiary rounds of the armor piercing. I, I, I didn't need to know that information. And that's when I realized that um, I was never going to get laid and uh, I probably <laughs> wouldn't have a great relationship with girls for the start of my, uh, I was just such a nerd. I was just a nerd for it. And like we, me and my, um, me and my mates, I, like, I had a good buddy who was an incredible uh, artist. He was sick when he was younger. And even by the time I met him at school, a uh, senior school, he could draw just the most incredible artwork, like a uh, comic mm. book style. And I'd have, he'd draw aliens all over my pen cases and of chestbursters coming out of my, my like he'd draw me, chestbursters ripping out of me. I think he hated me actually. But we'd, we'd go to like WH Smith's <laughs> and I, I just have such fond memories of, I, 
sit on the floor in WH Smith's because that's they used to sell the graphic novels and read like back to front Aliens Genocide, which was probably about a two and a half hour read just on the floor of, of WH Smith's. And then the Alien War came out, the Trocadero. And I was there like all the time. I think I went four times and I'd like to the point where I was, I was throwing myself at the aliens when they appeared. Like, um, <laughs> I wasn't, an, I was a bit of a strange kid, I guess. Like the aliens would literally come at like, there's certain points where the alien would come out. And I, do you guys know about Alien War? Do you know what it was? I never went, but I've heard about it. Yeah, my parents wouldn't take me. I was scared. It was scary. Uh, for sure. Um, but yeah, for, 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 for the listeners who, who don't know, Alien War was, they basically, uh, this basically hired this area that they turned into sort of like, almost like a, a laboratory where uh, it looked a little bit like LV-426 from Aliens. And you go there as a, like, um, a visitor and then it's a lab and a, Aliens break out, excuse me. And um, they had all the, they had loads of the, they had some of the costumes from I think aliens and they've made a few and you get chased around by aliens and it's just incredible it's terrifying and uh yeah I don't know how old I was I must have been like 14 15 give or take Mm. and I just I loved it but like the first few times you realize that some of the people who go in who you think are just like punters because they come and sit stand in the queue with you for like you know half hour they actually work there. So when the alien appears, uh, they grab them and yank them oh, out wow. of the lifts and stuff like that. And so it's terrifying. And even knowing that, you know, the, it's not real, you very, very quickly don't care. And like mm. there's people literally almost stampeding over you to get, get away from the alien. And you know it's not, it's not real. And yeah, but after about my second time, I was like, oh, right, okay. I've been in that elevator scene. Oh, I, I, know, I know where they take the person. So like the third time, I was standing in the spot where the the plant was supposed to stand. The guy was going, "Please, mate, just get out of my way. Like, Please, just stand there." I was like, "No, no, it's fine." And the door opened, and <laughs> the alien <laughs> goes like that. Went to grab me. Realizes obviously because the actor knows in the alien suit knows I'm not the guy. Went to grab me, and then went <laughs> to the guy to me. And yeah, so anyway, it's a little story of Alien Trocadero. Um, that's, how, that's how fanatical I was. And that's before we talk about how amazing the film is. Well, best sequel ever is Before Sunset, which is the Richard Linklater sequel, which was nine years after his film Before Sunrise. And it's quite funny. I, did, I, I found when I was kind of thinking about this question that like very few of my favorite films are sequels or have sequels. I think probably because, you know, I, I like quite a lot of kind of art house and world cinema stuff where nobody's made any money from their original film. So there's no desire yeah. to make a sequel. But this one, um, I was very pleased to remember because I fucking love this film. And I watched it again last night. I hadn't seen it for a while. And like, I was almost like on the verge of tears the entire way through because I just thought it was so beautiful and moving and I was with my husband and it was doing absolutely nothing for him and it was like a real moment about like I'm sort of seeing the perfect relationship and then like asking some big questions about my own <laughs> like you can see what I think of as being the ultimate expression of like romantic love and soulmate them and like not have anything but yeah there's that that's not for us to unravel in this <laughs> podcast, but my God, this film is just absolutely wonderful. What did you guys think? I, I'd never heard of the of the trilogy before, and when I, I kind of read the bio about it, I thought, I 
I don't think I'm going to like this. And I put it on, and about about ten minutes in, I thought, I love this film. I I I really loved it. Like I I love how it's kind of dropping you in someone else's conversation. I like quite like to people watch, and I'm quite nosy, I guess. And I feel like I'm just sat in someone else's conversation because it's just the two of them, really. And also, it kind of felt quite quite personal you know you could think about kind of romantic relationships you've had and that what would you say to people if you go if you went back it just it was beautiful like you said it, I, I really really enjoyed it I'm so glad we, we did this podcast so I could get to watch it like there are there haven't been many films where I've gone do you know what I'm so happy I watched that film but I really am I'm really happy and I need to go back and watch the first one and the third one now I've never seen the third one I've seen the first one years ago and this is the first time I watched this one yeah, I love it. It's so good. I love talky films like this. I agree with Rich. It makes you think about your past a lot that, you know, I wasn't quite ready to do. I, I'm not a massive Richard Linklater film. Are you a big Rich, Richard Linklater fan? Yeah, I like um, Boyhood very much. I find some of his ones a bit kind of overly American, if that makes sense. Like, oh. I feel like this is almost so specific that if you didn't, live in Texas at one point, a lot of it's kind of going over my head, which I think is why perhaps the Before Trilogy are my favourite of his, because you've got that voice of Celine that's sort of slightly ripping apart and teasing the Americanness of it all. But yeah, I mean, like, it, it's just, it sounds like the most boring thing on paper, isn't mm. it? It's just two people that met each other one night, haven't seen each other for nine years, and it just plays out in real time. A single conversation of a quiz was like 80 minutes, and, and that's it. <laughs> and uh, kind of, yeah, but I think it's just, I mean, I find so much kind of stuff that's sold to us as being romantic is just being like schmaltzy nonsense, and I'm not a yeah, big yeah. rom-com person. And like, this just seems so real. Best ever sequel, as you know, is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Brilliant. Which um, I watched again over Christmas uh, to introduce my kids to uh, the world of Indiana. I didn't go for Raiders of the Lost Ark because of the Melty Man. Mm. I didn't go for Temple of Doom (laughs) because of the monkey brains and the pulling out of the heart. Yeah. Um, And I was trying to think, what's the horrific thing that happens in Last Crusade and can I expose small children to it? And I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And and they loved it. They loved it. you know, um, one of my kids is five. He loved Indiana Jones. No, he's got no uh, real grounding in, um, you know, Nazism. Uh, not, that sounds like oh, I've, I've raised the others in that ethos. <laughs> what, I, what I mean is um, he just knew they were bad guys. Um, uh, my little girl loved it and was just watching, you know, and um, the bit that really stuck out to them was the leap of faith mm. where, yeah. you know, he is a, it's an impossible thing for this man to do. And we've seen him bleed we've seen him get bloodied and broken and bruised and now we're asking him to do the impossible but if he has faith maybe he can do it and that was a standout moment from then the film gets quite magical and strange and there's an old arthurian knight who's a hundred million years old mm. and 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 things kind of get you know there's the moment where sean connery is magically healed um and I guess there's a sort of a tonal shift then when it becomes um, something something bigger. But the reason I wanted to show it to them is um, I just think it's it's the best of the Indiana Jones films. And it's brilliant because of Sean Connery as much as anything. Yeah. Who I'd never mm-hmm. seen do a comic role. And not only is he this uh, very funny character, 
with everything kind of delivered perfectly. But he's the only person we've seen who can put Indiana Jones in his place and turn our hero into a little boy again. Mm. Um, yeah. When I saw the Indiana Jones films, I told my dad very seriously that he was from now on to refer to me as Indy, <laughs> um, which lasted maybe three quarters of an hour. Brilliant. Um, but but w- watching Indiana Jones for the first time in the Loughborough Curzon, I remember being kind of blown away by, like it had never occurred to me that there was there were kind of origin stories. Um, you just accepted Indiana Jones for who he was. Mm. When you saw him in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you were like, well, this is just a super cool the guy with his hat and his whip. And the twist is that he's also, you know, uh, a, a kind of straight down the line uh, teacher. Mm. Teacher. Um, yeah. And, you, you know, you sort of wonder what his holidays are, you know, how he's managed to get so much holiday uh, from, from <laughs> this university. Terrible teacher, right? It's like, yeah, <laughs> awful. Like, Can I have my so dissertation marked, please? Oh, no, sorry, I'm in, yeah. I'm in Cambodia. Yeah. Or... <laughs> Why is there blood on this, you know? Um, you never saw him do marking, you know? You also get beaten up on a, on a, on a ferry or something, a ferry, a boat, um, but, but never having to go downstairs and do the marking. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. What is the most disappointing sequel you've seen? As in, it's not the worst, but you went in with high expectations and you came out and you're like, ah. Oh my god! Um, oh, I know. Brilliant. It too. It too. Yeah. Um, I thought they did a fla- absolutely fabulous job with it, chapter one, um, and having been a massive fan of the original um, TV version with uh, Tim Curry, and then being very disappointed with what happened in the latter sort of stages of that film, <laughs> when I saw you it part one, I was like, want. "Oh my god, it is." You... <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> surely. There's people out there that don't know that he turns into a... <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and I was just hoping that they'd decide to go off-piste and think, you know what, this doesn't work and let's do something different. And I hoped against hope that that would happen and 
it started out really well and then it just went down that rabbit hole and it's that thing you're talking about again of you know half an hour of weird cgi actiony crap that i'm like yeah and i'm not scared anymore now because and then the denouement which is oh you can stop him by doing this you're like what oh it's so long it's so so long yeah it's so long and you know i think you know mcavoy and chastain and everyone do some great stuff and i love all that beginning bit and the the threateningness of the you know the the opening sequence of him turning up and being absolutely terrifying on the banks of a river and the balloons and everything it has such great promise and then yeah it's just it's just that big old spider yeah. again isn't it i know rich hasn't seen this because he doesn't watch horror films i haven't uh, it's okay it's not that i don't deliberately watch horror films it's just they don't really appeal if there's something else i'll watch something else instead really i mean this pennywise is just i mean i actually cried watching it i was so it gave me such the heebie-jeebies that i had to sort of have a little pause that was it was you know when you're so terrified you're a bit like teary that was me i thought it was so good that part one Mm. but then yeah that's great it just doesn't stick the landing part two no not at all sadly do you think it's not as frightening when in the part one it's it's frightening because it's against kids and you know it's nightmarish Mm. and then you get to the second one and they're adults and you think oh adults should be able to deal with this a little bit better than you know children Mm. no it's just that stupid what he really is business isn't it it's just (laughs) you know so stupid um, it's so stupid. Just... Did you go to the press screening of this by any chance? Yes. In London on the IMAX. Yes. One, and it went on forever because yes. they had an introduction. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was just another one that was too long. Um, yeah. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Very disappointing. As you just said, Dave, it's not as good as The Dark Knight, which is an Oscar winning all time great superhero movie. And I think Batman Begins is just below that. I think Batman Begins is underrated in the shadow of The Dark Knight. I think they're both incredible. And then Dark Knight Rises is like fine for most people. It's like, yeah, it was good. You know, Christian Bale's still Christian Bale. And it's, it's, there's Bane and Tom Hardy's good and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. And there's also the Talia Al Ghul stuff that makes no sense whatsoever. Nope. And a bunch of other stuff that just, that's not how nuclear bombs work. I have a, I have a physics degree. That is not how nuclear bombs or how, uh, I am the one physicist in the world that can fix this bomb. No, you're not. That's not how engineering works. That's not how physicists work. If you had just invented this thing, you would be winning Nobel Prizes and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. Like, no, no, no. Uh, and, and you were the only person who could do this? Yep, that's me. Dead. Like, cool. Problem solved. Like, nope. There's probably like dozens of people that could come in and probably work that out. Go and get them right now. What are you doing? Bane's plan makes no goddamn sense. Drives me mental. Can you tell I'm fired up? I, I just love up. I love the I'm thought sorry. of you coming out at four o'clock in the morning so disappointed. Did you drag friends to go and see it as well? <laughs> so interestingly enough, this was my first long-term relationship, like all the way through university and stuff. I moved across the country. I'm in Norwich at the moment, uh, where I'm from originally. I moved down to Exeter in Devon. So wow. UK listeners, you probably know where that is. International listeners, that's like 250 miles southwest of where I am, which is... In in English well. in, in English terms, that's really far. <laughs> I know that's next door neighbours for you Americans and Canadians out there, but for yeah, us, that's really far. It. It's a eight hour journey basically. So yeah, I had moved down there and all this kind of stuff, and that would have been my 
uh, yeah, I was there for about a year or so before my life came crashing down. I lost my job and my girlfriend within like two days of each other. It was a, the, the, the darkest timeline, <laughs> should we say. I'm, I'm fine now, thankfully. Oh, good. Um, yeah, it was just 10 years ago. But um, yeah, and I think that was the same week I saw Dark Knight Rises. Oh, not a good oh, week. Oh, no. <laughs> so oh, like, no. yeah, this perfect amalgamation of all the terrible things that could happen to me, like fresh out of university, all this kind of stuff. Like, oh, I'm looking forward to life out in the big wide world. What could possibly go wrong? Like, oh, yeah, oh, Batman's things. terrible <laughs> and my life is crumbling around me. You're just holding on to Batman. At least Batman's going to be good. I, th- I think I did. Genuinely, I think I did. It was one of those like, oh, it's, I mean, I, my job's crap and I can tell something's up with, you know, my relationship at the time. Like, oh, thank God I've got that. You know, I've still got those tickets booked for the midnight release. Thank God I've got something to look forward to. And I was, I shouldn't I was be laughing. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, crying. You have to laugh I, or, really you, or you'll cry. What is your worst sequel ever and can we just talk about what your what your worst sequel ever was before you got to where you are now (laughs) i just wanted to say because dave told me what your choices were and i went and watched so so your original choice for for worst sequel was sex in the city 2 so i spent two two and a half hours of my life watching sex in the city 2 because i've never seen it and never seen the tv show or anything you have to undo this because so, I actually said I can't make I can't talk I can't talk about Sex in the City too because it makes so me sorry, so upset Rick. that I said I actually can't go on a podcast and talk I about it I think it might be the worst film I've ever seen like, I, I, was, I was gunning for Sex in the City too. I feel like Sex in the City 2 is the one you that is the worst you sequel. couldn't pay me money I would cry on this podcast if I talked she wouldn't. About it. she wouldn't do it she would she, <laughs> because Sex and the City is so close to Kathy's heart as a property uh, yeah. okay. that I think it's, it's still too raw. I just watched it and expression. thought, is it supposed to be like Succession? Like, are they horrible people? I've just not realised. <laughs> like, are they, you know, are they supposed to be horrible people? Like, You're always a bit horrible, but like, I actually said to Dave, I don't think it qualifies as well because I think to say worst sequel implies that there was something good about the first movie and I loathe and despise the first Sex and the City movie. Yeah, that's a bad so movie So to too. me, the first movie is actually a sequel to the TV series. Yeah, I bother. So I actually, I, in the end, I'm so sorry we came full circle on Sex and the City, but not before we made you watch it. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> at some point in time, someone else will pick it and then you live to I really, I I really hope yeah. they do because I don't want to have watched that movie for no reason. <laughs> Did you ever hear the podcast the worst idea of all time not yet and they, they pick a movie and they watch it every week for 52 weeks oh. and they watch sex in the city 2 every week for 52 weeks oh god no it is so funny i actually stopped listening to the podcast because it was like kind of got really depressed <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so depressed. but they did it with another movie as well what was the other one uh, Grown Ups 2. Grown Ups 2. Oh, that's oh. another dreadful one. Yeah, they're masochists. They've taken the sequel game next level. Guys. Oh, yeah, that oh. is silly. We're not doing that, Dave. We're not <laughs> no. doing that. <laughs> so, so how did you land on your choice? Do you want to tell us what your choice is and how do we get there? Yeah, so when I was when I was like initially thinking about the podcast and I was like really pleased you guys asked us on because I think it's such a good podcast and uh, it's a really clever idea. But as I said, I find it really difficult to think of lists. So I was like, God, like when I just think in my heart of hearts what my favourite sequel is, it's Grease 2. And I said, you know, it may not be the best, but I, it's my favourite. And then I sent it to you guys that Grease 2 is going to be my pick for best sequel. And then on Friday night, <laughs> Dave and I sat down to watch Grease 2 and I was so excited, like popcorn made, like ready to go. Because I haven't watched it 
Dave knows he's seen it with me before. So we've been together like 16 years. So we probably watched it like over a decade ago together when I was still young and naive. And then kicked on on Friday and like 10 minutes in, I was like, I've made a terrible mistake. (laughs) Rocky Five. I mean, it's fucking terrible. Like there's no redeeming quality about it. Tommy Morrison, maybe. You know, Tommy Morrison, uh, who's story is remarkable as as, yeah, a, as an yeah. actual boxer his life whether they make that into a film uh i i don't know there, there's a huge there's a a very well-made documentary that's i think on netflix about tommy morrison that? that's that's yeah incredible story like um and i guess being the guy in the in the in the rocky film uh re- really kind of helped but oh my god it's yeah i don't want the 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 finale to be a backstreet brawl like i I, I want i want oiled up stallone you know whether or not that was the 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 film was done like that for for no other reason than um he was out of shape and he didn't want to put his body through whatever he has to do to to because i know when i watched um some some stuff about balbar he uh like the, the training regime he was putting himself through it you know what was he when he made that film he was about 91 like and like it was, you know yeah, it's it was ridiculous <laughs> like but yeah i'll just yeah five i mean i think i've seen it twice um and it was on again about two months ago they they put them all on itv4 or something like that and and it's one of them ones like like goodfellas if it's like 10 o'clock at night and you just think oh, i just want to go to bed oh hold on i I'll give it another 15 minutes and you flick it over for a 10 o'clock film. And if it's Goodfellas or a Rocky film, you just think, oh, well, that's me till 1 a.m. And like Rocky Five weren't that. Oh, Rocky Five was no. like, right, let's let the dog out and uh, I'm going to bed. It was... I love the whole premise of Rocky Five is that Rocky can't solve his problems by fighting, so he solves his problems by fighting. Yeah. Like, it's like... Illegally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, illegally in the street <laughs> instead of in a ring. Like, yeah. This makes no sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a great inspiration to uh, to young people uh, and professional yeah. fighters. Don't worry about it. It's it's the one it's Rocky film that I don't feel Stallone's comfortable playing Rocky. It, it seems like he's he's not really there, and it's also it, it kind of turns. They make him dumber in the second, second, third, and fourth. He's got a bit of wits about him, and then suddenly yeah. I don't know he didn't know how to play brain damaged or how brain damaged he should mm. be. And then they made him dumb again and and unlikable. I, it's definitely the worst one. That's really that's a really good point that you, that you just made there, Dave. Because in the first two, he was like, you know, even going back to the second one when he's trying to sort of do yeah, the, yeah. The, the TV adverts and stuff, he can't get it right. He can't read properly. You know, he can't get his words out. And then fast forward to three, like he's an astute businessman in you know, and he's. Is a marketer's dream, uh, and and to the point where it you know can be proven detrimental. I'm, I'm aware that you haven't seen it, Rich, um, <laughs> and 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 yeah, and then obviously in four, you know, he's a he's a spokesperson for for the United yeah. States of America, you know, and he's he's the poster boy for world peace, and then come five, somehow maybe it's them 150 um, clean shots he takes to the to the to the head. That have left him a little bit punch drunk. I don't know, yeah. but yeah, you're right. Come five, he's like back to being like a village idiot that no one's got respect for. And then the rumours started to circulate again. It's when when hype was was up and running, and I was obviously a film journalist by this time. I was on Empire, so we were very keyed in to what Speed Two might be. And obviously Fox wanted to to 
you know, to get one going as soon as possible. Hmm. And they started talking about a boat. I mean, we were kind of like, you know, there were kind of jokes going around in the Empire office about how fast does a boat go? <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm presuming it wasn't the speedboat because that wouldn't make much of a movie. Yeah. It's going to be a, a, an ocean liner. A, a notoriously go. slow thing. A notoriously <laughs> slow thing. The film's called Speed. You know, that's a, a basic speed. idea. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going, yeah, it's, it's not, you know, you can do die hard on an ocean liner when it's, yeah. kind of, it's like a small building floating at sea. And that's great. Yeah, you know, kind of idea works. I mean, Under Siege is basically that movie where it's, mm. you, know, you just contain the drama on the boat rather than making the boat the thing. But if you're making a speed, the, the vehicle has to be on the move. So that kind of perplexed us. Then these rumours started to circulate uh, that Keanu Reeves wasn't happy with what they were doing, what the script was, what they maybe just did like the boat and the concept. I wonder why. Now, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now I, I had a um, you know professional interest in this because obviously we were planning Empire covers at the time. You know, you, you plot to plot your Empire covers sort of a year ahead, and you start to negotiate with the studio, and you kind of hone in on your timing and. And obviously, we'd, we'd all loved Speed, and it'd been a big selling magazine uh, for Empire. We'd had Keanu on the cover. So we, we kind of, we were invested in Speed 2, maybe a bit blindly. And you get caught up. You know, we hadn't seen it. We hadn't read any scripts. And we were a bit sceptical about ocean liners, but we we're going to, okay, these guys are professionals. They're going to do something. But once Keanu dropped out, we were a bit like, what do we do? You know, do we back out? But we stuck with it. We stuck with the Sandra equation. We we're going to put Sandra on our cover with a boat or whatever it was. You know, it was one of the, it was at the time still one of the biggest films of that summer. There have been various trailers, which have been a bit odd, but there's Willem Dafoe and there was some action. And it, you know, we were just kind of going, okay, we'll see what happens. But I think in our hearts, certainly in my heart, there was this sense that you can't do this without Keanu Reeves. You can't do a Terminator film without Arnie and you can't do a speed movie without Keanu because they were sort of intricately tied together. Yeah, yeah. And they were, they were going to do that. And I think Fox must have known. I think it was just, it was, ironically enough, a runaway train of a film, <laughs> but sadly not a runaway train of that a That would plot. be a better, a much yeah. better concept. They couldn't do that. that was it Under Siege 2? Under Siege 2, that, that's a train, yeah. Yeah, see, that's the problem. This feels more like an Under Siege movie than it does a speed <laughs> film. But... It, it, it does. Um but anyway, we were caught up, like Fox, we were caught up in this kind of this runaway train of an event. And we'd invested in shooting Sandra and all these things. It was all quite exciting still. And then word came back to us that Sandra wouldn't be shot on her own. She had to be shot with Jason Patrick, the replacement to Keanu Reeves. And, you know, best will in the world. Jason Patrick, at that point, and at no other point in his career yeah, yeah. has ever been a big star. Maybe maybe for about five minutes after The Lost Boys, but yeah, yeah he's, he's done some great performances, Jason Patrick, um, but he's not really got that, that wow factor of, of a movie star. And maybe at that point, we should have smelled a rat, um, but this we were so still good. committed to this speed two debacle. <laughs> yeah, we were kind of headed to you know the dock with the ship can't stop. <laughs> that was us. That was 20th Century Fox. This was this whole damn film. And then, and this will kind of relate to the story to come, but um, I, I, I was kind of working on the third Danny Boyle film with him and Andrew McDonald, who's his producer at the time, had told me he'd read the Speed 2 screenplay and had heard it's diabolical, the film, and the whole of the studio was caught up in this, how do we rescue this, this, this disaster? And I'm like, thanks for telling me that. I've got a cover coming out in you know, a matter of months. 
and we can't get out of it now because there are publicists involved and Sandra's involved and Jason's involved. So, well, we kind of knew, I think Fox kind of knew, everybody kind of knew, I think the whole of the world kind of knew this was going to be an awful film. We were just waiting for it to happen. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you've spoken about the your disappointing sequels and your worst sequel. What is the sequel that surprised you the most that you liked it? Oh, so you you got dragged to see it because you like the first one's rubbish, and you like come out and thought that was great. I'm not really sure. It's it's a really good question. I I mean, what I would say is I'm not a massive fan of a lot of the Star Trek films, but some of the Star Trek films are some of my favourite films. Yeah. And some of them, it's like Star Trek one, not that I hate it or anything like that. It's like I've seen it, I never need to see it again. I'm not even a massive fan of Star Trek two, Star Trek three, fine. I'll watch it if it was, I would have watched it if it was on TV on a Saturday night. But Star Trek four, I love it. Star Trek five, nothing. I don't even think I've seen Star Trek five. Star Trek six, Undiscovered Country. One of the best films, you know, um, one of the best, most entertaining, but Christopher Plummer's in it. He's, I watched it again because Christopher Plummer was in it uh, and he died last year, but Christopher Plummer is incredible in it. He's old friends with William Shatner in real life. And so you've got kind of like this sparring on, on camera, on film of those two. And it's just a really good tense. It's sort of like the hunt for Red October. It's like this really tense sort of cold war era, uh, end of the cold war, 1980s 1990s thriller but set in the star trek universe and um it came after star trek 2 3 and 4 they're sort of like a trilogy within a franchise and then star trek 5 didn't do very well and so star trek 6 was sort of like let's just do one more let's hope hope it's good but we'll do one more outing for the original crew and then and then we'll call it a day and they do it and they really go out on a high and i think that you know, you could almost take and leave all of the other films. I love Star Trek Four because it's about, I mean, I saw it, I think it's one of the only ones that I saw at the cinema. I remember my mum took me um, in the when I was like five or six and I loved it. And in a way that I've never got into the TV show and it's really only just Star Trek Four and Star Trek Six that I love. Yeah, I think they're kind of like surprising films. Probably, I remember being quite surprised by, because there's a lot, a lot of Marvel movies and a lot of sequels. Mm. I remember being very surprised with both Thor and Captain America. I really liked their first movies. And not, then, notably not sequels. And, and then not their sequels. Mm. And I, surpri- I was surprised because the sequels, 
particularly Captain America, the second one, the Winter Soldier, everyone loved it. Yeah. And I like hated it. But I loved his origin story. I found that really interesting. So I was surprised. I remember coming out of the cinema and being really disappointed and surprised. It's like, what is everyone talking about? This is I was an surprised awful, at your reaction as well. Movie. In that moment. Whereas I was really interested in him like being the dweeb, you know, the first movie and like the World War II setting. And I found all that really quite fascinating. Whereas I found all the stuff with him and Bucky, like I couldn't believe they brought Bucky back. I was like, are you joking me that I have to watch this fucking guy <laughs> walk around? Um, and I hate all the stuff with him and Iron Man oh, arguing about it. So boring. And uh, yeah, I was really surprised by that one because usually if you like the first movie in a Guardian strand or not a Guardian, a Marvel strand, you'll kind of, and then the second Thor was really different from the first Thor and that took me a by surprise. Is that the well. Dark World? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's rubbish. That's rubbish. Yeah. Because I love the first one. And again, yeah. it's that origin story. It's so nice when you meet a character, but it's like, do you need another movie with them? Yeah. When you've already seen them in a big ensemble movie, probably I not. Need, we, I needed Ragnarok though. I love that movie. Like the yeah, third, but I, yeah, that's, that's I was surprised by how much I enjoyed Ragnarok. I wasn't Actually, ready. Yeah, to that's that. the second surprise then that that was then good again. <laughs> yeah, that's a real roller coaster ride. That that series, the, <laughs> yeah. the four yeah. ones. It's just Chris Hemsworth that was so good that like, of course they're going to keep giving him movies because like, how could you not? Let's talk dream sequel. Okay. What was your dream sequel? Well, I was gonna say Ghostbusters three, but it's it's happening. So yeah. Hmm. Um, and I've gone with uh, purely for comic reasons I've gone with uh, When Harry Met Sally okay uh, because I just want to see them get divorced (laughs) (laughs) brilliant I just think I think that Rob Reiner would do it yeah he's divorced I think that obviously the thing that the reason it should never ever happen is because they couldn't use Nora Ephron because she's dead and I think hmm. that she was just such an unbelievably brilliant writer of like realistic romance. And, but I would love to see a film where, um, you know, not necessarily I'm saying divorced because it's funny. But what I mean is like, I think there's another coming of age that happens when you're old. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it, I would really like to see because that song, that movie, sorry, is so much about the kind of cockiness of youth and mm. the hope of youth and both of those things are dashed and then they both go oh my god we're in our 30s we're never going to find love and they just become these best cynical best friends mm. who then fall in love with each other and it's a really smart clever um warm film and it looks unbelievable and the dialogue yeah. is out of this world and um yeah. the jokes are so good and it, to me it's like the uh it's the um it's the Woody Allen film that Woody Allen wishes he made, I think, yeah. in a lot of ways. And they took yeah. all, they took so many of the tropes from Manhattan and Annie Hall and and a lot of his kind of funnier romantic movies and and actually did it better yeah. than he does it. Um and and even even in in the kind of the mise-en-scene of it and and the way that it's they've shot it and the use of colors it's like it is so, it leans so heavily on the rom-com like Nora Ephron said um, that there, she said something like there's two types of uh, uh, problems in films. There's Christian problems and Jewish problems. And she was like, the Christian problem is I'm in love with this girl, but I have to go to war. And it's a real mm. problem. And the Jewish problem is I'm in love with this girl, <laughs> but oh, I'm so neurotic. And uh, and that's why we can't be together. And 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 that's like kind of what every Woody Allen film is. Mm. Especially, I mean, especially the... Yeah, well, let's not go down that road. But uh, 
and I think I'd really like to see how Nora Ephron would have tackled yeah. being in your 70s or 60s and 70s and like yeah. what love is then and, and how you see your kids and how they're watching them fall in love and then seeing yeah. the grandkids leave college and having that gen- the generational gap of mm. like um, of not understanding these Gen Z kids as an old couple who were at that point when the original yeah, film yeah, yeah. came out so hip and cool and like yeah. and obviously like they would probably be quite well off because it seems like they both owned property in New York in the eighties. So, you know, maybe they've lost their money in some way or maybe, maybe it could be cool when Harry, when Sally left Harry or something, you know, and, and it's about oh. them. Right. And then they get Damn. back together. Then you can't, you can't, you can't break them up. It would yeah, ruin, yeah. it would break everyone's heart too much. But I, th- I think you could start the movie with them being that. broken up. And also, you know, as you said, that the con- again, the countryside and, and the sort of mm. location is another character. It's all about... And the music. Yeah, Kremer and paddling in beautiful rivers and, you know, eating ice cream in the square and peddling around those beautiful country lanes. Um, mm. I was so taken with it and my friend was so taken with it, we actually booked ourselves to go to Kremer and we went on uh, a plane and we went and paddled in that spot and we went and sat in that square and had a drink and... Um, turned up outside the house that the Perlman's house was the gates were open we crept in and stood on the lawn so um we did a little pictures pictures oh yeah pictures (laughs) pictures pictures so we are that sad about this film that we actually did have our own little call me by your name tour um and I can report that all of it is exactly as you see it in the film and all of it is absolutely stunning and beautiful and I ate one of the best Italian meals of my life in Crema there so um I am biased, I I know, because when I watch it now, I see a great buffalo mozzarella I ate and that amazing gelato from that store and the fact that that river was dead cold but really delicious because it was really warm that day. So I haven't added um, joy in that film. Yeah, Um, yeah. And so because of that, it's that very scared feeling of if they did do a sequel, would they be able to replicate that? sort of lightning in a bottle again and I think it'd yeah. be quite difficult so when I was watching it I thought I bet they're going to do tours I bet they're going to do tourist things where they take people around <laughs> around oh, I don't think they do tours but it's very easy to find all the places it's a very small Italian town in northern Italy it's really yeah. easy EasyJet flies you know into Bergamo where they end up in the final scenes it's very easy so uh, we should go Rich yeah, yeah. let's do it. have a little paddle let's go I'm very upset that Birds of Prey hasn't had a sequel yet. And I do cry about it at night. So Yeah. And I think that is a lot to do with Toxic fan base, actually. Because yeah. it had a back... I literally think it had a backlash because it was a fun female-led film. And it was quirky. And it, like I think Birds of Prey is magnificent. Yeah. And it's one of my favourite DC films, especially from the newer DC films because it just had fun. It felt like it had personality. It felt to me like DC had finally cracked it. I was like, yes, this is how you make a superhero movie. You know, it was great. It was a brilliant, brilliant film. And that tone works so well with Harley, especially Margot's Harley. And I just feel that DC fans sort of wanted something a bit more serious and they didn't get that. So they were upset. Like, even aside from the fact it's obviously female. Oh, woman. Yeah. We have got... How dare they? I know. We have got a Black Canary film coming, mm. which I'm like, cool, because I think I think the name's Journey Smollett-Bell, isn't it? She's, like, great. Yeah. It's Black Canary, and I like that character. 
I'm be interested to see more about character, but I'm like, where's where's Bop too? Come on, guys. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think I think Birds of Prey is up there with my favourite DC movies. Mm. Like it's it it made me think because oh, I was at a point where I wasn't going to watch any more DC movies. Yeah, I'd, I'd seen yeah. Wonder Woman eighty four, I think, and I was like, no, I'm I'm not doing this anymore. Oh, I really, I really like Wonder Woman eighty four. Oh. I don't know, I just, <laughs> which I can see why people don't like it because it is a mess. But there's so much of it that I did enjoy. Yeah, but I really like Wonder Woman, so maybe that's why. But I also don't. I again, I'm not a big fan of Zack Snyder, and I'd watched I watched the Snyder cut, and I'm like, yeah. I think it's the music. The music is so on the nose. <laughs> Like it's like a superhero turns up, da-da, like the music is like, bah, bah, yeah, you know, and it's like, like it's on. Um, Dave was saying about um, Army of the Dead as well, like playing zombie at the end of Army of the Dead. I'm like, you have not listened to the lyrics of this song, like, just because it says just, it's called zombie doesn't mean it's the right song to play. <laughs> I must say that, I, even I don't like Zack Snyder's films, I always think he comes across rather well. He seems really genuine. He's a, yeah. He really, seems really like a really nice lovely. person, yeah. I think it's such a shame that his fans are just like, not all of his fans, obviously, as I said earlier, like a small portion of his fans are just so toxic. And I think one of us are just, because the birds are pretty, I don't think it was a massive box office flop. Like, it's got a dedicated fan base as well. Mm. It's just, I think they're just scared. <laughs> like, yeah, but it's such a shame because it was something really different. It was obviously all female, like I think it's DC's first like female cast like movie, and it, it was so much fun. It was different. It was like more mature. And I saw a really interesting thread about James Gunn's The Suicide Squad and how you wouldn't have that if it wasn't for Birds of Prey. Because obviously Birds of Prey mm. is like fifteen rated adult humor, ridiculous yeah. humor, and uh, that's exactly the same. Like. Birds of Prey and The Suicide Squad, perfect double bill yeah. because you wouldn't have that film if you didn't have Birds of Prey. And I just feel like, I don't know, it just people just don't like fun. And that's it. And who, who, like who wants to hang around with people that don't like fun? But we're never going to get another Dread. It made no money. It was an incredibly troubled production. And the producer, Adi Shankar, said he's done multiple interviews saying, like, this is never going to happen. There's no way you would need to fund it yourself and somehow get Carl Urban and <laughs> Olivia Thelby and Wood Harris and Lena Headey. And people, obviously, some of those characters die, spoiler, but get those people of those caliber to come and be your independent production somehow. It's never going to happen in a million years. And that breaks my heart because I love Dread so much. I grew up with 2000 AD and reading Judge Dread comics. For, for this and out there, wearing a Judge dread t-shirt right now <laughs> as a bit of a tribute and it's like this was the film i've been waiting for after the 1995 just mediocre pile of just comedic <laughs> half-assed bollocks that is the stallone and schneider movie yeah, okay <laughs> please don't tell me you like the 1995 one i've though. got a soft spot for it because it's so bad uh, it's good kind of thing oh uh, see want... this is where you can go off no i think it's terrible me again because <laughs> I, I don't oh, like I it you both. no no i think it's terrible but somehow i can start a rivalry with the whole show i quite enjoy it for being bad but i agree it is a puddle of shit the costumes are kind of amazing right like it's yeah. so comic but accurate with the giant eagles on the shoulders and all this kind of stuff that would never fly in the like down to earth mm. gritty i hate to use the phrase dark and gritty but that's kind of what dread is and that's kind of become this uh, like uncomfortable phrase 
phrase to be using in cinema these days, but like that to take dread and really dial it down from all the wacky stuff that 2000 AD does. Yeah. Because 2000 AD, for listeners out there who don't know, is a comic book series that's been running for like 50 years at this point or something like that, since the 70s. And it is just mutants and aliens and satire and parody it's like monty python meets star wars meets all kinds of weird stuff mashed into one. and sometimes it's like really dark and gory and sometimes it's really silly and funny and has nigel farage and donald trump in it and stuff but they're called bilious barrage instead because <laughs> copyright and libel and stuff and it's like how do we how do you turn that into a film it's like day in the life of a judge Mm. just make it super small scale it the entire film is set in one building there you go i have to be honest when dave Dave said this was your your dream sequel i did i did think he meant the 94 (laughs) (laughs) version i was like really yeah i'm I'm bringing back stallone (laughs) what 26 years later yeah brilliant he would still do it as well I think. Yeah, oh, he'd love another crack at it. He, he probably needs the money, doesn't he, old, old Sly? And I also thought I'd seen this movie. I thought I'd seen Dread, but I hadn't. Oh, wow. So <gasps> I got oh, to watch it for the right. first time. Right, right, right. Hold on, hold on. Stop the presses. Stop the I'll podcast. Sit back for Rich, a what did you think? Gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think, Rich? Tell me. Tell me more. I, I liked it. I liked okay. it. I don't think I liked it as much as you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. It's <laughs> brilliant. I don't think many. I don't think many people like it as much as I do. To be no, fair. I think Dave does. I think Dave loves it. I loved it. I can't believe that. Never. There's never been a sequel. It's just. It's mad. What I really like about it is, uh, I, I really like the fact that they got to use slow mo with an actual point to having slow mo. Uh-huh. <laughs> Clever, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's good. I kind of. I don't know. I, f- I felt like there was. It, it deserves a sequel. You're right. I think there's there's more to the universe. Yeah. You know, there's there's definitely oh, more. There's, to be said. there's so I much more like to the universe. The first, yeah. yeah it's, it felt like the first part of a trilogy or the first part of a series. You know, it felt like the setup. I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I definitely liked it. There were bits just like, yeah, nah, nah, it's just action, blurry up stuff. You know, that kind of. It's so much fun. Out of action. Is it Carl Urban? It's not Keith Urban, is it? It's Carl Urban. No, it's Carl Urban. (laughs) I I had that conversation with my (laughs) wife yesterday, too, where she was like, I get confused between Keith Urban and Carl Urban. Who is who? Oh, my. We don't need Sylvester Stallone. We need Keith Urban's dread. That's what we need. (laughs) He's so good as dread. He's He's really good. Gotta go for him, then, rookie. And those were our best of season two unequal sequels. I've got to be honest, I didn't know where I was going with that one when I started it. <laughs> I could tell. I would say it's more of a snippet. It's not our best bits because there's so many more best bits. Yeah. But uh, it's like a taster. I mean, the Nick Helm one alone could just have its whole, whole own best bits episode. Like, you know, there's so <sighs> many. It was such a good first episode of the series when I absolutely loved it loved having Nick on bit of a hero of ours yeah um, hilarious it's our longest ever episode uh, I made sure of that uh, Jack Chambers tried to claim it but I told him it was a second out or something so <laughs> it was no, close he was about 10 minutes it was close 10 minutes short yeah <laughs> yeah what a season what a series it's been <sighs> I mean, yeah man it's all over now it seems to have gone really quick as well like Really quick. It doesn't seem that long ago that we were sat down with Nick doing that first recording, and now it's all done and dusted. I feel a little bit lost without it, to be honest. Yeah, 
It's going to be a bit weird, which is a good job. We're basically going to start recording Series 3 next week. (laughs) Straight to it. Straight straight back into it. Season 2 finishes. Season 3 starts next week. (laughs) A difficult third album. Yeah. Yeah. Stick with us. It's not going to be difficult. We're going to love it. Yeah. It's going to be great. We thought now we've got standards to keep and expectations to to meet yeah that's true but we're going to do our best we've got some cracking people already lined up and we're in the midst of annoying some other cracking people mm. so there's going to be lots of cracking people on our I'm very podcast. excited oh yeah let's talk a bit, little bit about season 2 uh, do you want to thank everyone that came on uh, yes thank you for bringing that one on me <laughs> yeah this is my favourite bit <laughs> so I would like to thank Nick Helm I'd like to thank Stu Whiffin and Chris Glasson I'd like to thank Jack Chambers, we would like to thank Leila Latif, uh, we would like to thank Jane Crowther, uh, we would like to thank Emily Murray, we would like to thank Josh Weller, we would like to thank Dave and Kathy from the Cine Mile, uh, we would like to thank Danny Wallace, and we would like to thank Ian Nathan. And that's it, that's all of them. <laughs> Amazing, guys. That, no prep, guys. I didn't know who was going to do that to me. <laughs> also, thank ourselves for the big Christmas special. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I th- thank myself for editing that Christmas special. Like, thanks, Dave, for leaving me to do that one. <laughs> you did a great job. But thanks for everyone who answered our Christmas questions as well to make that episode possible. That was also a lot of fun. Yeah. Any highlights from the season for you? I mean, loads. Pro- pro- probably far too many to mention. Um, oh, I think so, yeah. the City Mile, just having the City Mile guys on, I just, I love them so much. Um, yeah, that was that was a highlight. I for me. really that, enjoyed that recording great. that episode. I, I hope it comes across how much fun we had because we, they are brilliant. Dave and Kathy are just wonderful people, and it was great yeah. to chat to them. Um, I think realize, realizing we're twenty minutes in with Ian Nathan, and I don't think I'd said a word because <laughs> 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 I think that was great as well. Um, yeah. Again, you know, fulfilling a dream of having Nick Helm take the Mickey out of me—that um, was wonderful. And uh, and Josh Weller's um, Josh Weller's uh, dream sequel, I think, has has got to be made. When when yeah. when Sally left Harry, it's got to be made. Um, yeah, in fact, actually, Jack Chambers' I think, um, uh, dream sequel needs to be made as well. That the dread sequel i really like the sound of that too it was really nice getting all the who was the final piece of the sequelizers puzzle yeah definitely uh and danny danny wallace came on and jane crofer from total film layla yeah. as well from... oh yeah of course watching um watching before sunset like that's that's one of my highlights of the season actually because i didn't I'm about to say what what films have you enjoyed and dis disjoyed disjoyed <laughs> not enjoyed um, I, I mean i loved before sunset i really did i think it was it was brilliant I did. I didn't enjoy "Call Me by Your Name" as much. Maybe well, not as much yeah. as I thought I was going to. I should say I did like. I I did like it. I just thought I'd like it more. I don't think. Let's think. Oh, I mean, uh, Speed Two was obviously an absolute stinker. You know, that's it's basically a, having done a, ba- a, a podcast about Baywatch. I can tell you now, it's a two-hour le- episode of Baywatch. That's basically what <laughs> Speed Two is. That is a shocker. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably the worst one we've had, right? I can't think of any worse than Speed 2. It's my favourite worst sequel, yes, by far. Yeah. As in, 
that's one of the reasons why we make this podcast for for bad and I, sequels like that. I love Ian's story about how they had to put it on the cover of Empire. <laughs> right. So so good. Loved that as well. It was so good. Oh man. It's like, oh, yeah. it's a zero star movie and we've got to give it three stars because it's on the cover. <laughs> that's really interesting. I like to catch up with Dread again. Still agreed. That's a great film. Yeah, again, one I probably didn't enjoy as much as you, but I still liked it and I still want to see Jack's sequel. I think that would be yeah. better than the, the the first one, the original. Just had an absolute blast with Emily and with all her picks and her podcast recording. Her dad's an absolute hero. Yeah. I, I think that's one of my favourite hour and a half we recorded with Emily. I, I don't remember not laughing and smiling from all her <laughs> craziness, pretty much. I loved that one. Yeah, yeah. There um, are a, girl, lot of, girl with dragon tattoo. a lot of hot takes in that one. <laughs> so many hot takes. It was fantastic loved a recording with the hardcore listening crew yeah uh, Stu and chris yeah oh man so i can't i can't i just keep like remembering good things and absolutely funny things because we would we got to go on hardcore listings as well didn't we 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 really enjoyed that that as well well. so yeah that was great and i love that podcast too what a cracking i don't subscribe to many podcasts but we've had sequelizers hardcore listings and the city mile which are kind of three of the like four or five that i subscribe to so yeah, yeah it's been a good amazing a good season now if this is their first episode they've listened to rich mm. go listen to the rest this is just a teaser a taster like a starter what else have you got to say where they can find information about well, us well we're on social media of course nicely teed that up for me dave thanks very much for that thank you um we are at unequal sequel on twitter and on instagram and if you want to, you can send us a little email, unequalsequel at hotmail.com. Maybe you have got your ideas of what your best, worst and dream sequel should be and you'd like to come on the show. Hey, give us an email. Let us know what you think. So we, we'll try and get you on too. Um, yeah, I think that's how you can get in touch with us. Of course, give us a little cheeky like. Give us a subscribe. Give us five stars if you're still using Spotify. Yes, you can give us five stars. Yeah, I know lots of people are getting rid of it these days. But hey, if you're on it, you can give us the five stars. We're on it. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that's about it, really. Go back and listen to all the other episodes. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your nan. She'll love it. Um, yeah, that's it for me. Lovely. I've just got to say thank you for everyone that came on again. Uh, we do appreciate it. And also, but a big, 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 big thank you for listening to this series. It has been, yeah. it's gone better than we can even imagined or hoped. Uh, so thank you so much for making it worthwhile making. Me and Rich love making it, which is number one priority. Uh, but yeah, having do. you guys interact and listen to it, and in, we know that you enjoy it, is like the cherry on top of the cake, isn't it? We we love it oh definitely so absolutely absolutely thank you because uh, you know another year we were in pandemic and this is mine and rich's you know bit of fun at, at the end of it yeah. so and now it's turned into a proper proper hobby uh, that <laughs> we really we really enjoyed so thank you yeah, so it's much be the pit we, we pour all our money into <laughs> what's that new new equipment yeah why not our wives are so happy <laughs> But yeah, there that's all I've got to say. Are. I've got nothing else to say. So it's um, it's a bye-bye from me. I'll see you next season. And a bye-bye from him. Bye! See you later. Have a good one. Bye!